1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. I'm Alan. This is Chris. I'm
2: Chris here with you.
1: I always feel like I'm like pointing over to you. I'm saying this is Chris, but then I realize this is an audio podcast. People don't see me pointing, so.
2: Well, maybe I need to develop like some intro phrase, like "Crusty the Clown." Like, hey. Like,
1: yeah, there you go. Yeah, you could. <laughs> yeah, you need a catchphrase, Chris. That's go. what we're saying. How I would guess. you end
2: the show? Just not to start.
1: Not to start off. Hey, hey, um, might work okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll try something anyway. <laughs> we're here with Foot Candle Films. This is the show where we talk about movies, obviously, as you can probably tell by the name. Uh, we are part of Foot Candle Film Society in Western North Carolina, but we get together a couple times a month to talk about films that not only ones our Film Society screening, but also ones you can check out in your local multiplex. And today's episode, absolutely no exception. We've got both multiplex f- films and ones you can check out online or a combination of the two. Chris, this is going to be the all sci-fi edition, which I know you're probably terribly excited about, because I know you're a big science fiction fan. I am fan, a big
2: sci-fi fan. Yeah. And, and
1: we're kind of chock full with reviews today, to the point where we've got a lot to cover, we've got a lot of films to discuss, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on the three that we're going to be discussing. First, we're going to talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's a lot of, of these in a, in a movie title, uh, which is the sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes,
2: it could be Dot Pota if you just do. All
1: oh, you're doing the acronym yes, thing? Yeah, yes, let's, let's call Pota. it Dot Pota because that sounds a whole <laughs> lot better. <laughs> we're going to talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. We're going to follow that up with Snowpiercer, which a film some of our listeners may not be familiar with, but we're going to tell you all about it. And then we're going to wrap up our review segments with the film Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson. Again, another one many of our listeners may not be familiar with. Both Snowpiercer and Under the Skin are available for on demand, rental, or viewing. While Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, probably still on the multiplex by the time you listen to this. Then we'll move on to possibly some news if we have some time. But, you know, if we get really wrapped up in conversation, Chris, on these movies, we may not have time for news. We'll see how it goes.
2: It is sci-fi as opposed to like a period
1: piece. Yeah, so So. we've got a lot more to say about it normally. (laughs) And then we're going to end up the show with our recommendation of the episode that we normally do, which is a film we think you ought to go back and check out at some point or one you might have missed or one that we just happened to stumble across recently and want to call a little attention to. So, Chris, the all sci-fi edition. We set our blasters to stun. Yes. We're ready to move on to the final frontier and into our first review, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes.
2: Engage. We made contact.
0: Military. They're already on their way.
2: So you have to go?
0: Go
1: where? This
0: is my home.
1: Sorry, my friend.
0: War has begun. Caesar!
1: In Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is... Different from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Chris. I want to draw the the distinction. You know how I remember it? How's that? Rise. It's James Franco. Right away. <laughs> okay. Rise. James Franco. Dawn. Felicity. That's oh. kind of the phrases I use to kind of piece it together. <laughs> okay. So Dawn has the Felicity girl. Rise has James Franco. Now. Those are just phrases I put in my head just to kind of...
2: I'm assuming Carrie Russell was in Felicity Yeah, she's Felicity. Was she she
1: Felicity? was Felicity. Okay. Yeah, she, she was. TV show, right? It was a TV okay. show. I never saw the show, but I am familiar that that was the character she played. Okay. So that's the way I kind of tie it together in my head. I associate it with that recognizable, bankable star. Gotcha. However, here on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is a, a sequel to Rise, which in itself is a kind of prequel to the original Planet of the Apes films from back in the 60s and 70s. You still following me here? Yes. Okay. We have a basically following up from the actions of the first film. Mankind has dwindled in numbers due to a virus that has been released out into the world. The virus actually helped the ape community by becoming more sentient, more uh, intelligent and uh, acting more of a society than maybe they would have in their primal states. So here we are. I think it's about 30 years after dawn of the Planet of the Apes is what I seem to remember number wise. They said it happened. I think that's right. We follow Caesar, who is the head of the ape community, who was the uh, young ape growing up in the first movie, the one who became intelligent first based on exposure to some testing that humans were doing. He is now the leader of this ape tribe they feel like they are pretty much in a secluded community. They are, they don't think humans are still around because they haven't seen them in so many years. years. Yeah. At least a few years when all of a sudden the movie really starts off with a conflict where we do actually find out that there are still humans alive in the world. Not many, but there are still humans in communities and these humans have an encounter with the apes. And it's the first time in several years that there's a realization that, Oh wow, we've got two different societies coexisting here Mm -hmm. from there different things ensue, different uh, uh, dram- dramatic points happen, all escalating with basically a, a fairly substantial battle towards the end of the film. Right. Now, Chris, I remember back in the early days of Foot Candle Films, you and I talked a lot about when Rise of the Plane, I have to remember. Yeah, I think Franco. Right, Rise- Franco, the Franco movie. When it was out, right. Andy Circus was the one who performed as Caesar in the film through motion capture. Right. And at that point, there were actually rumors that Would he get nominated for an Academy Award for a fully motion-captured performance? You and I were both on the bandwagon of, yeah, we think motion-capture performances ought to be recognized as acting. Uh, I seem to remember that was the consensus you and I both had. sure. But we also knew it may be a ways off before that ever happened, because then you argue, was it really the visual effects artist that helped make that happen, or was it the actor or a combination of two Regardless of all that, here we have Andy Serkis back in the role as Caesar in the fully motion captured role, uh, a little more evolved to the point where there's actually some speech involved now, where that wasn't really a factor in the first one. Plus, there's many more apes with many more personalities than we were exposed to in the, in the first movie. So let me kind of start with that first question again. Andy Serkis reprising his role. Do you feel like his acting chops have gotten any better in the motion capture ro- world since Rise? And has it caused you in any way, shape, or form to reopen that dialogue about should this become an Academy Award-nominated category?
2: Okay. Well, I I think that you know his acting capability. I've only seen him as a non-motion capture when he was in King Kong, and he mm-hmm. did something else that I think I saw. Him well,
1: in. he was in King Kong as both motion capture and King then Kong then and like he played somebody of the crew. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So I I don't really know. I guess his traditional acting. I'm not really sure on. But when I left the movie Rise, the Franco movie. The Franco movie. The Franco movie. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, it was good. And I was like, oh, yeah, he deserves it. After this movie, and maybe I didn't even immediately think of that when I walked out of the theater. When I walked out of the theater from this movie, I was like, something needs to give. Okay. (laughs) So the answer to that is... So you thought it was a really good performance. Whether it's his acting or whether I was just aware of his performance a lot more, I don't know. But his performance is definitely a strength and... You know, as far as where I fall on the line of should the animators be nominated? Should he be nominated? You know, it's a shame because I think that very issue is going to keep them from getting nominated. If they would just bury the hatchet and say, guess what? We're going to say it was the combination of both of our strengths mm-hmm. that made this happen. Yep. Neither one of us could have done it without the other. Andy Serkis is good, but if he just wore a fuzzy costume and looked like an ape, it would be like the 1970s. Yeah. So, so you know. So I think – but there again, if they just did a computer anime thing that didn't have any personality, he did lend something to it. So I think it should be like a joint nomination or something for the two of them. Um, And that way at least you'd kind of open the door for something
1: like this to be rewarded. Well, you answered my question, and I do agree with you. I think his performance is actually more interesting than the first movie in this film. But let me ask you a follow-up question. Is his performance as Caesar enough to make this a good movie? Um Or did it exist as a good movie on its own outside of his performance?
2: the movie the movie existed on its own outside of his performance as a good movie okay I think his performance helped make it a great movie. Hmm. Um, I will say that there was someone else who I was not aware of. It's like a new name I think is is it Tony or Toby Kibble who plays. Um, another ape in there, it's it's Coba. Toby,
1: Toby Kevill plays Koba.
2: Toby, okay. So, it, yeah, Koba was a presence in this movie. I think maybe he was in the Franco movie, but not very
1: much. If, if he was, I don't recall. But they did seem to allude to the fact that he, he was, was in the there. previous movie.
2: And his performance was equally, I felt, as, as strong. I agree. And so, there again, it kind of shifts towards thinking people need to get recognized for this kind of work because it's it's pretty amazing. So I guess a good movie, but his performance helps elevate it to be something more than just a summer action movie.
1: Well, I definitely agree with you. It's definitely more than just a summer action movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. I didn't love it. There are a few things about it that's some misgivings I've got. But I did think it was a good, enjoyable film. I enjoyed it more than the previous version, the previous film, the Franco version. Oh. I did. The Franco version, like I thought was Felicity
2: better than Franco.
1: <laughs> I thought Fra- I thought the Franco one was fine. I just didn't think it was outside of the outside of Andy Serkis Caesar. Mm-hmm. I didn't think there was a whole lot left to it. Okay. And then the Golden Gate Bridge sequence I thought was pretty fascinating to watch with all the apes attacking. Right. This one had some amazing visual sequences. I thought there was some great uh, Action was really well done with this. Normally, you know, I could see this movie just becoming a hodgepodge of just CGI and over-the-top action. It was all fairly manageable. I mean, I could follow the action. It was, like, well done, well crafted, I thought, for the most part.
2: So the is whole that the usual complaint with like something like transformers or something. Right, like oh, absolutely. You can't follow the action.
1: My whole my whole issue with the film, the only thing that kept me from really loving the film is is I just I thought the whole human human side of the storyline was a little weak. The human actors, I thought the depth that we get with them, they became much more caricatures than they became real characters. Hmm. The fact is I thought the apes were much more fleshed out as characters than the humans were. So the human side of it let me down a little bit. It just was not as well-developed as I would have liked to have been. You know, we've got the guy who kind of sets off the conflict at the beginning of the movie, and he's obviously labeled as automatically the bad guy, like the whole movie. Right. And they don't really let up on that, even though you can kind of see his point a little bit. But he's obviously caricatured as the bad guy. Coba, on the other end, as the ape antagonist mm-hmm. to Caesar— I thought was extremely well done because yes, he is, he becomes the villain, but he's, you can understand where he's coming from. I mean, he's not just a out for blood bad guy. I mean, he was doing things for a particular reason, you know, he had certain intentions, he had certain beliefs and I actually felt like I bought into them. Now granted, he kind of went off the deep end towards the end, but but it was a still, I felt like I could at least relate to it. And again, the humans, I just didn't think were quite as well developed as the apes were.
2: Right. I would agree. It, that's what elevates this movie from there. Again, just being a summer blockbuster where you have you have a friendship between Caesar and Koba, And Coba at one point steps across a line and starts to go bad. But you understand why he stepped across that mm-hmm. line. Now, then does he realize what he's done? And does he decide to step back across the line no. and go back with Caesar? No. And that's, you know, so, but it was to even introduce that complication was admirable for, yeah. you know, a summer movie.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, Gary Oldman's character was just kind of non-existent for me. There just wasn't a whole lot to that.
2: You just had to shout.
1: That's right. Carrie Russell as the wife uh, or not wife, but I guess, girlfriend of Malcolm, our lead actor. Again, almost just, she could have just not been there and it really wouldn't have impacted the story any. Sure. Uh, Malcolm's son is just, again, kind of a. Very stereotypical, typical character they threw in on the human side. So anytime we went back to the human village and kind of spent time there, I was bored. You know, and I just felt like it was not really well-developed. They were obviously more interested in seeing the ape community. As was I. We, 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 <laughs> they were obviously more interested in seeing that well-developed. And that's great when we got there. But when you have that balance with the humans, it just didn't work as well.
2: Yeah, I, I, it sounds like we're on the same page. I, you know, if I I'm overall very positive on this film, but I would say that my negative – does come in where yours does, that the human parts in the film felt too thin. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I know they can't just leave them out because that's the whole dynamic is between the apes and the humans, but I wish they would have been further fleshed out.
1: I was also a little disappointed, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but the point where this film leaves us at the end. At the very end? Yeah, the very end. I felt like was, I didn't feel like we'd really moved very far from the beginning of the film. Huh. In that, I felt like the status quo at the beginning of the film, when they first realized that, that apes and humans are coexisting now, I didn't feel like we really got that much movement. Everything was still relatively status quo, other than there just being an awareness that well, the two exist. I, think
2: I would kind of take issue with that, because at the beginning of the film, there's, there is no knowledge of the other side. Then there's a knowledge, and they have a, a truce, so to speak. And then things fall apart. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, there's a definite realization that, oh, yeah, it's, it's on. <laughs> yeah. I, so, and that, that I, don't, I don't know. I okay, like the last right. shot of the film as well, too, actually.
1: Really yeah, I know the last one you're talking about. And, uh, and I have heard that the, they've already supposedly given a name to the next it's the, next, the next film in the series, okay. and it is Battle of the okay. Planet of the Apes. it, really it could be anything it's different. It's pretty much war. Which I mean, granted, this got this was pretty much war too, but it was just war with the apes we knew with this one colony of humans. There's probably other colonies of humans all over the world that we're aware of that we're not aware of. So the, the
2: events in the climactic scene and how things pan out surprised me, um, and I can't get into details because yeah. it would kind of spoil some things that happen in the film, but. I will say that the impending sequel, which would seem like to indicate it's going to be a big battle movie, doesn't really interest me at all. Nope. But I will say, straddling the fence, playing devil's advocate. Then again, when I heard about the <laughs> first movie, Rise, the Franco movie, I was like, why are they rebooting? Yeah. Like, why? There's no point. And then when I heard about this movie, I was kind of like, well, I think it's just going to be... I, so both movies have been a surprise so far. surprised me both times. So... I'm hoping that it will be something more than just a simple battle movie.
1: Well, I think that's not going to be interesting. Part of the part of the good, the good thing about going on here is that we have a director, Matt Reeves, who had who had made Cloverfield several years ago. He also made Let Me In, which was the uh, American version of Let the Right One In. Both competently made films, good films. I thought Cloverfield I had some issues with Cloverfield, but I think for a first directorial effort, was pretty good. Uh, let me in. I still like the original version better, but the American version was actually pretty well done. It, it, they I, didn't. I never
2: caught up with. The, yeah, uh,
1: they the, didn't the over Hollywoodize it at all, which yeah. was good. Um, So we've got a good, competent director. I think, to me, that's the key of these movies. If you're going to take kind of a ludicrous concept of the Planet of the Apes, and you're going to make it very serious, and you're going to make it very authentic, you've got to have a good director at the helm. So we have that here with Matt Reeves. Uh, The gentleman who made uh, Dawn – no, I'm sorry, Rise, Rise. Franco, uh, was Rupert – gosh, I can't remember his name right now – but – He's also a good director. I mean, I think there again, you've got a good hand guiding these films. That's going to be the key for the third one. I mean, you can make an interesting movie out of a giant war movie if you've got somebody really strong guiding the ship.
2: And that's it's interesting. I heard that, that whoever the director was for the Franco movie, when he stepped away because of issues over writing or something, Franco then stepped away.
1: Uh, and so Rupert Wyatt was okay. the director who. Uh, who handled the last film.
2: And so from what I understand, it was like,
1: whether it was issues over control or something, yeah. but he's
2: like, okay, I'm out. And then Franco at that point said, well, if he's not back, I'm not back.
1: But you know what? It all worked out fine because having a movie set 30 years after Rise, I mean, James Franco character would have been 60 years old. Right. You know, so.
2: How did you think they handled the callbacks to the Franco film in this film? Um,
1: at first I thought it was a little convenient, but I liked it. I mean, if basically you find the house that Caesar was raised in and they find a video camera and get to watch some old footage, uh, yeah, it's very convenient, but I think it worked. Um, you know, I, I liked it.
2: It didn't bother me. And I think for there not to be any reference at all, yeah. maybe it would have irritated me. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of clever. I didn't think it was ever done. I also appreciate the reference. At least I'm thinking it is. You'll have to help me because I've only seen those movies, like one or two of the 70s movies. And it was mm-hmm. a long time ago. But the reference to Blue Eyes, which, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, is a reference to the Charlton Heston character in the old movies. And I in believe this so. this movie, it's a reference
1: to Caesar's son. Caesar's son. They call, they him, call Blue him Blue Eyes. Eyes. Yep. Yeah, that's, um, like, that's good. I didn't even think about that, but I think you're right. I
2: will be interested to see how that carries, if it carries through on the, the sequel movie. Yeah. How things carry through with that.
1: So we're both positive on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I'm not loving it, but I did enjoy it. Have a good time. Sounds like you you, you liked it a lot.
2: I did not want to, I, I got to throw one more thing in there and this doesn't spoil anything, Okay. but it's an example to me of how this is, was a good, it was a great movie and it was elevated from the good by this simple scene. Uh, Koba <laughs> goes to scout out.
1: Oh, I know what you're talking about.
2: Arms Depot. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he goes to scout that out and his interaction with the humans is amazing. Yeah. And a shift that takes place. And then a shift that happens again. And then on his return. Oh. It was, but the, specifically the first yeah. encounter, that blew my
1: No, it was mind. an awesome sequence. I will point out that sequence and call you on that as well. And then during the, the war sequence, there was a shot from the viewpoint of the person steering the, a tank. Okay. That was a long, continuous take, but you basically saw an ape moving in and out of control of that tank and kind of saw things from their viewpoint And the staging of that shot was really impressive as well. I really liked that. Also, there were some really great scenes. I agree uh, that happened there. I think anytime you saw the eyes of Caesar, mm-hmm. his eyes, just watching them was phenomenal as well. There were some really great moments. I would love to go back and watch again in this film. So absolutely. It definitely had some really high shining points for me. I did overall enjoy it. I just I wish the humans could have been a little more developed if you were going to spend that much time with them in the film like we did.
2: If we were trying to wrap this up in a bow, Alan, what would be your uh, letterbox rating for it?
1: Um, I'll give it a four, four out of five. I mean, I did I enjoyed. I think rise or not rise? Yeah, rise Franco. This is so confusing. I think I maybe gave it a three and a half.
2: I think on the Criterion Collections, they'll call it Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then parentheses, Franco. Franco. And, and then, then this Dawn of yeah. the Planet of the Apes
1: will be, parentheses, Felicity. I think. Yep. Go ahead uh, and take
2: our lead on that, Criterion.
1: Uh, four stars for me.
2: I, I'm on the same page. Four for me yeah. as well. Okay,
1: good. Awesome. So that's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and that's the Felicity version. That is out still in movies, theaters. I think it's doing pretty well right now, box office-wise, so it should be around for a while. Uh, Next, let's just move right into our next review, Chris, if that's okay with you. We're going to talk about uh, the uh, latest sci-fi film on a train. I guess that's the best way I can sum it up in three (laughs) words or so. Science fiction train movie out now is called Snowpiercer.
0: We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. No, don't. Place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What you say? We take the engine.
2: And we control the world. When is the time? Soon. Set in a future where a failed climate change experiment kills all life on the planet except for a lucky few who boarded the Snowpiercer, a train that travels around the globe where a class system emerges the newest film from Bong Joon-ho, starring Captain America. Alan?
1: Yes. Who's also Chris Evans. Yeah, Chris Evans. But yeah, Um, he's Captain America. Come on, we'll just go ahead and say it's Captain America.
2: Uh, So hearing kind of that, you know, stylized... Yes. My attempt at a stylized intro, would you perceive that as what this this movie is? The director who gave us, the Korean director who gave us The Host, which I believe you have recommended.
1: I have recommended The Host. I really like The Host, which is a... And that Odd was, family drama monster B movie mixture. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and that was subtitled because it you know wasn't mm-hmm. in English. That was whereas this is Bong Joon Ho's first English speaking. English yep. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like he made the transition? And you know, was it something more to you than just sci fi thriller on a train?
1: Um, yeah, and actually, of the description you read. Yeah, it's an accurate description. Except the emphasis is really on the last phrase you said, which is where a class system emerges. Okay. That's what this film is about. Yes, it's an action movie. Yes, it's a sci-fi movie. Yes, it's you know uh, got some of the same trappings that a typical sci-fi action movie has. However, the fact that this is all based on this class system of the poor underprivileged live in the back of the train, the elite few live in the front, mm-hmm. and you basically have a movie where the citizens of the back decide to revolt and are making their way to the front of the train. That concept as simple as it may seem added so much to this film. I love this film. I had such a good time with this film a because yes, it was very action packed. There are a lot of action scenes, but B I was actually more interested in wanting to know what's the next train car. What is the next thing that they're going to see? What's the next move? What's the next step here to the point where I, I love the interesting characters. You had some very unique, interesting characters on the train. I, the whole class system dynamic between the sides of the train really, really worked for me. Probably no better suited than uh, to me, a standout scene towards the maybe two thirds point of the film where they get through a school schoolroom train car to probably the most
2: good scene in the movie. What's that? You mean the last good scene in the movie.
1: Okay. All right. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, that to me was the best thing in the film because i think that really summed up for me everything this movie was about and what i loved so much about it was the quirkiness of that and that that schoolroom scene really shone for me on that end all right we can talk about the last third of the film because i will a admit, train wreck well it was a train wreck i mean literally, literally. <laughs> i can understand people who may not like the last third as much I will admit the last third of the film does not hold up to the first two thirds, but I still enjoyed it. So, with that being said, Chris, I really love this film. Knock me down a couple pegs.
2: Well, I admire the ambition, mm-hmm. but uh, this is Minor Gilliam. Um, <laughs> granted, it was not made by Terry Gilliam, but uh, I think you can't look at a film like this without thinking of like Brazil or 12 Monkeys. Granted, those didn't take place on a train. But um they're all about class.
1: Now you did have John Hurt playing a character named Gillian. Which so. was a nod, yeah, which I sure. appreciated.
2: Mm-hmm. Um but it just to me, it was a clever idea. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of good acting talent involved, but somewhere along the line something fell apart. And it was actually I can't, I'm not really good at math. Um but, you know, that you said the final third, somewhere in the second third, about halfway through the second third, fractional, like two sixths or something. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't two
1: know. Two sixths is one third, but you know, you're saying force That'd
2: Halfway be... through the second third.
1: <laughs> Hold on. I can figure this out. That would be 50. That would be the halfway mark.
2: Okay. So it has
1: to be... <laughs> halfway through the second third of a film is the halfway mark.
2: Okay. Then it has to be something a little bit before that.
1: So you're talking like the, the three fifths mark. <laughs> the Three fifths mark of the to, film, I okay. I'll
2: have to go back and fraction it out. But <laughs> basically, you know, the first part worked, the last third didn't work, and then at some point, yeah, maybe it is the 50% mark, but it just I lost interest. And in the fact that this movie was taking place on a train very much resonated with me because it was like I knew the train was on a track and I knew where it was going, I could see down the tracks, I knew where it was heading, mm-hmm. and it just that bored me because there was no oh, surprise. No. And I wish the upcoming train cars had kept me entertained, but they didn't.
1: Oh, they totally was did with me.
2: Kind of repetitive. But there. I mean, the look of the film was good. The ideas mm-hmm. of the film were good. but And I'm, I'm wondering, since it was his first English film, maybe trying to get a bunch of big name stars. Because we're talking, I mean, there were big names yeah here's captain America yeah here's Chris Evans. Evans there's Tilda Swinton who plays an interesting role but I Mason, feel like it was yeah. kind of short shrift with her John Hurt that you already mentioned Octavia Spencer mm. that she got a lot of acclaim for the help Jamie Bell I don't know if people know who he is or not but he was in uh Billy Elliot yes. a long time ago
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um and
1: someone else I guess someone else we can't okay, mention the mention we can't it. mention the last person but no.
2: um so there, you know, the big names. But I feel like somewhere in trying to pull it off, maybe a little bit of scripting or something, just kind of
1: Ugh. kind of lacked for me. I so. cannot disagree more. I, I again, I can understand the last section of the film being somewhat of a letdown compared to what we had before. But I don't know. I kind of felt like that's how it needed to to be, and I think that's how it needed to end. I yeah, it was a lot of talking. It was a lot of exposition at the end. But I kind of felt like we'd earned it by that point. I don't know. I really like Chris Evans in the film. I like Chris Evans in general nowadays. I think ever since the I first like Captain Chris America movie, I really liked this guy. I kind of liked him even before then, back when he did those Fantastic horrible Four. Fantastic <laughs> Four movies. He was the only good thing in those movies I remember. So I like him a lot. Um, and I think he plays the part he's meant to play here very well. Jamie Bell I thought was good as kind of a, kind of a sidekick, a little more off the hinges a sidekick. Tilda Swinton just really hamming up in her role as Mason, kind of a, almost like a Lieutenant on the train, almost like a, you know, second, third, fourth in command type of role on the train in general. Between
2: the makeup that she had in this film and the makeup that she had in Grand Budapest hotel, <laughs> yeah. which we actually didn't get to review here on the show. Yeah. Um, she like, <sighs> she's had some interesting, uh, roles with me. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Well, I enjoyed, I enjoyed her role. Octavia Spencer was also some, one of the tail train, uh, uh, attendees. I, I just I liked the concept. I thought it was well written. I really liked the progressional nature of the film to the point where we were moving from car to car, and I liked the different environments each car presented. I thought the battle sequence kind of in the middle of the train, which is all these hooded guards it's just a very bizarre fight scene, but I really liked it. I just thought it was a lot of fun there's parts of it I still don 't quite understand, but I like the fact that i don't understand it mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the ending was both bleak and hopeful at the same time and I like that as well. Now you're shaking your head. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a good ending.
2: Well I what I didn't like about you know, there were several things, but you know, to me I guess the fact that it was so reminiscent of a Terry Gilliam film, Brazil yeah. in particular, and not to spoil anything, but hey that movie's been out for a long time, the ending of that movie is bleak. Mm-hmm,
1: okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Um especially the director's cut. The studios took it over and tried to make it a little happier. And that's kind of an issue that I have with this. This was very bleak, and it was like they had to make it a little happy at the end. And, I'm, um, wish, and the whole movie I feel like was really, really bleak, and then they had to have this little happy ending. And I was like, either don't make it so bleak and oppressive throughout, or um, just leave it bleak. Because I, I didn't buy. But the you really can read shiny, that ha- I didn't really. By the shiny, happy ending.
1: Ah, but I didn't see it as a shiny, happy ending. I think if you really wanted to look for a shiny, happy side, you could. All I see is, and again, I'm going to try to dance around this without spoiling. (laughs) All I see are two kids being eaten by a polar bear. (laughs) So you can say it's happy and all that, but I'm saying I actually saw a little more of the bleakness that these people that we're hoping are going to be able to move on from this story— I don't think have a very good future ahead of them, even though if you want to be the optimist and say, Ooh, they all have the world at their fingertips. I don't, I don't buy that. So I think you can look at both. It's
2: the polar bear from the Coca-Cola commercials. How could they not? (laughs) How could they be
1: mean? How could they do anything bad?
2: They're just going to spend the rest of their lives coming out every like holiday season, staring at the sunset and drinking a Coke. How could it not be right? How could it not be happy? Yeah,
1: uh, I agree. Well, I, I personally liked the film a lot. I thought it was great. Is there anything that you do you want to call out things you did like about the film, Chris? Things that you thought people ought to check out?
2: Unfortunately, I think I've hit all the positives. Um,
1: so wow, uh,
2: yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I,
1: really dis- I'm I, I can't say I'm disappointed because I can never say I, I'm disappointed. That somebody doesn't like a film I like. I'm surprised, Chris. I really yeah. am because I know. Yes, I know there was a lot of borrowing from Terry Gilliam's style and some of that, but you know. I'm awful barring boring it if you do something good with it. I guess you're just saying you didn't see the good that came out of it. Well, so. and
2: part of the problem, too, is I will admit I had not seen numerous um, previews mm-hmm. for this movie, but I had heard a lot of buzz online yeah. on Twitter and through other platforms. So you were kind of already built up a little bit. Heard, and on Letterboxd, actually, I'd heard people kind of raving about it. So the end result was – you know. Letterboxd score for me is three stars. It's not wow. a horrible movie. You know, yeah. but it's, it's it's three stars. I'm
1: four stars on this one as well. I li- I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it probably. i I enjoyed it more than the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But I think from a technical standpoint, I'm going to give them the same star rating because I think where this one I enjoyed more for the story, the conceit behind it all. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was an amazing technical achievement with what they did with both the balance of action and the performance, motion catcher performances and all. I enjoyed this story more of Snowpiercer. I enjoyed the technical feat of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes more. So together, they're both equally enjoyable in my mind. So I'm giving them both four stars. Okay. Sounds good. So that's Snowpiercer. Uh, you know, this is a film that didn't get a whole lot of theater love at all, didn't show very many places. Suppose there was a little bit of conflict between Bong Joon-ho, the director, and uh, the Weinstein Company. Supposedly, uh, the Weinstein wanted them wanted him to recut the film, make a different cut to it. Uh, Bong Joon-ho resisted, or they had a little bit of squabble. Finally, they ended up.
2: Joon-ho said, "Oh no."
1: Yeah, said no, and finally they did release it in his full two hour and six minute version he wanted. However, it just didn't go to many theaters, and it almost went immediately straight to video-on-demand.
2: Well, good for him that he's stuck by his
1: vision, I think. Supposedly, hasn't it done really well by bypassing – I mean – By video-on-demand video standards, right. yeah, it's done really okay. well. It's like right now it's been in the top, top view of iTunes rentals for the last couple of weeks for a film that got next to no media exposure – to be in the top three to five on iTunes on a, on a week-to-week basis is pretty good. So, hey, I hope, I hope the, me personally, I hope the word gets spread even more. I hope more people check this film out. Chris is saying, yeah, if you check it out or not, it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm saying it's an okay film. All right. Very middle of the year. All
1: right. That's fine. Well, let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with our third review, which is the Scarlett Johansson film Under the Skin. And we'll see, since we had one film that we both agreed on, liking, We have one film that we're split on, one giving it a very mediocre review, me loving it. I'm curious where Under the Skin probably could be our most polarizing from a listener standpoint. We're going to find out if it's polarizing between Chris and myself as well. So that's coming up next here on Foot Candle Films. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Before we get on to our next and final review of the film Under the Skin, I did want to pass along something to make sure you're aware of. The Mesh has been very, very excited to be a, a sponsor of the Greater Hickory Kia Classic Golf Tournament that's coming up at Rock Barn Golf and Spa in Conover, North Carolina, October 13th through the 19th of this year. 2014 you can get your tickets and information at www.greaterhickorykiaclassic.com i know that's a long web address but just spell it out like all the full words greater hickory kia you can get your tickets and more information about the tournament there we're really happy to be a partner of this we did this last year as well chris where we right. kind of help partner with greater hickory greater hickory kia classic it's a great golf tournament uh, nationally known, has some great uh, PGA-level players coming to play right here in Catawba County, Western North Carolina. So we're very excited to be, uh, to be partnering with them again. We definitely encourage you to go check out the website and learn more about the tournament. And come on down. October here in, in Catawba County is it's a nice. beautiful time of year. It's true. Come on down and visit us. If you happen to come in to town for the Greater Hickory Kia Classic, I'm just going to go ahead and say now, drop us a note and let us know. We would love to have you come by the Mesh Studios and hang out while we do a podcast recording on a Friday afternoon. Just... Personal invitation. Chris, are we okay doing that? Yeah,
2: Absolutely.
1: We can wheel out the couch and have some room around the studio here. So come on by, be, bring a, your own be our guest, bring your own popcorn. And hey, if you really like to talk about films, maybe we'll even uh, give you a mic for one of the, uh, one of the reviews to give some input. Good. So, Greater Hickory Kia Classic, thanks so much for your sponsorship and support of the mesh. And we hope everybody checks out their tournament and learns more about what's coming to our area October 13th through the 19th. Chris, let's move on to our final review of the episode. Our third sci-fi movie, if you want to call it sci-fi movie, is the film *Under the Skin*.
0: So you live alone. Yes. Do you think I'm pretty. I'm Come to me. You don't want to wake up, do you?
1: Chris, Jonathan Glazer's film Under the Skin, it was funny, I read the description of it. When you read the film on iTunes, you have a nice little block paragraph description up at the top. Right. And it, reading it could sound like the worst B-movie science fiction film known to man. You basically have an alien visitor in the skin of a human being attracting young, naive men into a lair to basically... I guess you could say, suck their life force or energy. So basically a, a femme fatale, a Black Widow type of character, which is kind of interesting, Scarlett Johansson being Black Widow. in yeah. the Avengers, yeah, did you catch what I did there?
2: Comic book reference. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay.
1: And that'd be the premise of the film. And you know, going into that, that didn't terribly interest me. What did interest me is what I saw briefly of the visuals and the style that we were looking at with this film. We have a film here of Scarlett Johansson starring as an alien. I mean, we're okay to say that. I mean, this is not a spoiler that you pretty much know within the first five minutes of the film. Yeah. She's an alien. (laughs) She's on earth in human skin. And before too long, she's already attracted her first male victim who she leads into a lair with the promise of sex and skin. And the guys get swallowed up in a strange black pool and get sucked, the life form out of them to where they're basically flaps of skin left floating in this black cesspool there again. (laughs) If you are still listening to me describe this film and sounding like, wow, this is not the kind of film I want to see. I'm with you. You're probably right. I'm with you. That's not the kind of film you want to see. (laughs) However, there's a lot more going on to this film than that. And of course that premise is really, you get the hang of that premise within 20 minutes of the film. You've got a whole nother hour, hour and a half of, a much deeper story going on, much deeper symbolism, much deeper everything. Even though the pacing is very slow, very methodical, shots are very long, scenes are very long. This is a very polarizing film, I guarantee you. I guarantee you we could ask people in our community to watch this film and most of them are going to hate this film. You will have some people who will love this film. Probably not a lot in between. Hmm. Chris, we were talking before the recording. We have not talked about this film yet. Uh, about us, kind of being uh, betting how the other person would 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 perceive this film. I'm going to go ahead and predict, and I want you to tell me if I'm right or not that you absolutely love this film. Oh yeah, yeah, I figured you did.
2: Absolutely. So
1: tell me what it is about this film you loved.
2: I mean, I don't have so much to say. You know, for these reviews, pretty much what I do is I sit down, and if I have to do the intro, Lord knows how I come up with that. But I basically divide it up, positives, negatives, and mm-hmm. I try to talk about them each equally. For the negative section on my little sheet here, I have can't find one. Wow. Maybe a teeny more closure with the motorbikers or mm. other elements left hanging. And that's with a question mark.
1: Is it? Is it motorbikers or just motorbiker?
2: I think it's several because at one point they kind of come together. Oh, that's it's, right. I
1: remember that scene. Yeah. Okay. Um, got but it. they
2: only show us the face of one. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, but that's with a question mark with that statement, because I'm not really sure I think that's a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, ambiguity plays a huge role in this film. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes I don't like ambiguity. For example, let me just kind of go with me here. Because sure. actually, mm-hmm. the thing is, if we were willing to spoil elements of this movie, we could spend two hours talking about oh, yeah. this. I Absolute, could spend two easily. hours talking about this movie. Easily. But I don't want to spoil several things, so I'm going to have to talk in generalities. mm mm-hmm. We have talked in the past. I've recommended Upstream Color, Mm -hmm. okay? Before that came a movie, Primer, that we've both Mm -hmm. seen and we both liked. I liked Primer a lot. I liked Upstream Color, but I was frustrated because a lot of things were kind of vague Mm -hmm. and not explained to you. And I just... It was frustrating because I felt like I was dumber than the director. I was too stupid to get what he was doing. So I still liked the movie, but I was was frustrated. Mm -hmm. And Primer left just enough breadcrumbs that you could kind of follow what was going on. Maybe you didn't understand everything, but that was okay. Whereas mm-hmm. upstream color, I was wandering through the forest. I had no idea right. what was going on with under the skin. There's a lot of things that I could see how people would be like, I don't understand what's going on. Why is she doing this? What's mm-hmm. going? On? And that didn't bother me because there was enough there that kept me
1: curious as to how things were going to happen. Well, but on, and honestly on that point too, the things that you don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing, Honestly are of very little consequence to the film. That's true. Okay. So like you could come out of this saying, why were they sucking up these guys Mm
2: -hmm. in this black pool? Yeah.
1: And in the end it didn't matter. That didn't matter to the film at all. I don't think I don't think Jonathan Glazer had any interest in trying to us trying to figure that out.
2: What's the relationship between Scarlett Johansson's character and the bikers. I kind of wanted it, but there again, doesn't
1: doesn't really really matter. Doesn't matter. This is all a film about, to me, what – you always take the example of what if an alien came to Earth, what would they see? What would they see in our society around us? And I think this film tries to put the best point on that it can. And the fixation with visual appearance, what we look like, what our skin looks like is a really, really played up factor here. And I think that's what the movie's about. I don't think the movie has any interest in being a sci-fi action – or not action, but an alien abduction, alien uh, invasion type of film. There's no interest in that at all. This is about what happens if somebody who truly was an alien to our world came here and experienced this world, made some decisions about who they wanted to be or maybe were questioning who they wanted to be, and saw both some of the good – well, very little of the good, mostly the bad Mm -hmm. that can come from society – when you focus on the outward appearance and the visual side of things, yeah,
2: this this movie is more interested in being a mirror of humanity than it is showing off cool special effects. With oh humans. yeah, absolutely. So like
1: Even though really the first couple minutes when we've got a very 2001 type of vibe to things,
2: ah, I really that I
1: off. thought that was really that took me aback because I wasn't expecting it. Everything I expected with this was it was a very low level sci-fi film, meaning. It was not so obvious sci-fi elements were there. But in that first five minutes, it's like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, we're actually seeing, like, spaceships and things out in space coming here in a building, a human in a way, or building a person. That was – took me aback. I liked it. It's just I did not expect that. Um, But really, once we got past that first five to ten minutes, it was very grounded – Mm-hmm. other than this black pool that the guys got sucked up in, but it was a very grounded movie.
2: I loved that black pool. Not that I want to be sucked up in it,
1: but I thought the was, concept of it was interesting. The
2: Concept was amazing. And something like, I'm sure it was difficult to pull off visually and from a cinematography point of view, from a staging point of view, but just making that happen. it looked like it was simple to do, mm-hmm.
0: you know, just because
2: it was very smooth and effortless and it was just amazing. Um, Interesting that you called up 2001, because when I was watching, I have here in my, you know, in the positive Mm -hmm. section, I have here in my notes, the opening sequence reminded me of the starfield sequence from the end Mm -hmm. of 2001. Yeah. And specifically, not that there were a lot of stars going on, but there were a lot of tricks with light and that patience is needed. Mm -hmm. And you just need to sit back and enjoy it. And unlike 2001, which you have all this other stuff before that, this is at the beginning of the film. And I would actually caution people that if you start off and that credit sequence is kind of a, you know, if you can get past the first five minutes where it's like, what is going on? Try, you know, just at least try to do that. And then if you get to the first Blackpool sequence and you're still ready to give up, then give up. <laughs> but well, try to make it, to, I really like that opening sequence. And actually, because we, I had rented it on iTunes, I went back and watched it again after the movie mm-hmm. was over because I wanted to, and I think I do understand a little bit more of what's going on there. But, um... Yeah, it's just such yeah. a well-made film. The cinematography, the effects. Scarlett Johansson. I'm not previously haven't really been one way or the other on her. Um, when she was in the movie Her, eh, you know. <laughs>
1: Obviously, oh, I liked her in and Her. I didn't
2: really like that movie that much either. So, mm-hmm. you know, but in this, so much depended on her performance and i could see how people could say oh yeah but all she had to do is just walk around and not say much and just you
1: know kind of, mm, no, it's a lot more than that
2: but no i felt like it was a lot more layered and i feel like it
1: was yeah
2: i felt like it was very nuanced <laughs> i thought it was amazing
1: i will say i really really like this film as well i can't throw out the loved word yet and i'll tell you there's probably one main reason why i can't say i love this film okay and it has nothing to do with the filmmaking itself. It was my viewing experience. I already explained to you before we recorded. Had some major, major iTunes rental playback issues where I basically only got to see this film in 10-minute increments. Sometimes overlapping scenes to kind of catch back up where I was after I had to restart my, my iPad. And then other times I missed little pieces. I'm having to fill in the gaps. That That's keeping me from having the love for the film. But what I did really like about this film is even though on the surface, when you watch individual scenes and you don't know what's going on or why things are happening, this is a film that actually, after you finish it and you're able to sit back and digest it for a while, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, it really does. Right. Granted, we don't know why they're sucking up the guys. We don't know, you know, some of those questions of why they're doing what they're doing. But again, that's inconsequential. What this film's trying to tell us and what we're trying to get out of this is actually pretty straightforward and simple, I think. You know, uh, and that's what I kind of admired about it is you made a very complex feeling film that had a lot of ambiguity, a lot of vagueness to it, a lot of style, but also a lot of simplicity. And it's one of those things where it kind of takes you having to let, let it settle for a while to say, "Okay, I got it. I understand what we're trying to get out of this. And it worked for me at that level. So I did really like it. I will say one thing I thought was really interesting between here and even Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. So I'm going to draw a little bit of connection.
2: The fact that Scarlett Johansson is Black Widow and that Captain America is Chris Evans. So no, were- that's Snowpiercer.
1: No, that's oh, how no, we draw. That's how we build the okay. Snowpiercer. Okay. Now, I'm going to build it back to Rise of the Planet okay. of the Apes. Gotcha. Dawn. I'm going to build it back to the, the Felicity. Felicity version. <laughs> um, the scene you called out with the ape, I already forgot his name, but the bad <laughs> ape, Koba, Koba. Mm-hmm. where he had to put on a performance for the humans and then immediately like you can tell right when the humans are no longer paying attention his personality shifts back Mm -hmm. so you know right away that switch and that acting Scarlett Johansson pulled that off many times throughout this film she's having to act to try to lure these men in but you can tell the minute the men are away Mm -hmm. it's just her personality completely changes and I thought she pulled that off effortlessly it just you look like somebody that was programmed to act a certain way, to say these things, to be very flirtatious. And the minute you're ready to move on to your next step, you're all business. And her face emotions just portrayed that perfectly. I thought, mm-hmm. so I thought she did a really good job with this. I thought it was a good performance, even though, yeah, not a lot of dialogue, Right. but again, acting is not just dialogue. It's, it's, it's physical acting as well. And I think that was very, very strong here. What'd you think of the score? I loved the score. Actually, that was probably my favorite part of the film within the first 10 minutes I was already digging what they were doing with the score. It was jarring. It was hypnotic at times. It was, I really liked it. The swelling strings, especially during the, the seduction sequences were really just, just enough creepy, Oh, man. Scary, very creepy. Yeah, it just it worked absolutely. I, I thought
2: it was really good. It reminded me of um, I looked to see, and it was not Johnny Greenwood, but it reminded me of something Johnny Greenwood would have done. Yeah, the guy from like Radiohead that did uh, There Will Be Blood and The Master. Yeah, it reminded me of something like what he would. Do. No,
1: absolutely, I actually thought the same cool. thing. I knew going in it was not him doing the music, but it did sound very similar to what what we would have seen from him. I um I really liked the film. I need to watch it again. Okay. just because I need to watch it in a complete unbroken sequence. Uh, like I'm sure it's meant to be watched and not the way I watched it. Um, you don't think
2: you're supposed to start and stop it several times? I don't think so.
1: Not, not particularly yeah, this one. Okay. You not talk to an app, a nice Apple representative for 30 minutes and then go back and watch another part again. No, gotcha. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to. That's not what the director intended okay. for the optimal viewing experience. <laughs> gotcha. um, but I will say I was generally surprised because I expected to go into this film and expect it to be bewildering and maddening and all because that's kind of how it's been played up mm-hmm. i actually found it to be a lot more simple than i expected it to be and visually really really interesting to, to watch
2: I, I agree and I, if i can call back to something we've talked about as kind of like my highlight that i'm going to hang this film on like You know, it would be the Coba thing for Mm -hmm. um, Dawn, Mm -hmm. Felicity, for Planet of the Apes. And for this film, you know, I don't really have one for Snowpiercer. Um, (laughs) For this film, it's the differences between there are three that I can think of. There are three key seduction go to the layer scenes. Mm -hmm. She does several seductions, but there are three that you see within the layer, I think. Yeah,
1: there's two that kind of follow the same routine. And then there's a third that's very different
2: the third one and the differences that you can draw between the third one and the other two are very interesting. And it's not like this, this dramatic difference that like, but it's little subtleties in things that are said or not said, how people's eyes remain focused or don't remain focused during those things happening that just were amazing.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm with you on that. I, it was a daring movie as well. I will say um, just, People need to be forewarned. There's some scenes that are going to take you back quite a bit if you're not quite as you know used to watch. There's a lot of nudity, graphic nudity. I mean, to the point where you know, male, female, everything. It's all over the place. I don't feel Um, like it
2: is the camera leers necessarily. Well, there's
1: nothing sexual about it. No, from the viewer standpoint. Now, maybe for the characters in the film, they think it's going to be a sexual thing. There's absolutely nothing titillating about the film in any way. we do have a, 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 a character in the film who physically deformed and it is a bit taking aback to people, but I think that's the point. Yes. That's how the director wants us to feel. And the way that she as an alien reacts, to that character is part of what you were alluding to. Very interesting in mm-hmm. a very interesting sequence in general. So yeah, there were just some scenes that, you know, I could see the general public being a little more taken aback by, but uh, again, it's a very real film as real as a film can be about, Aliens trying to abduct naive men into a lair and suck their life form out, <laughs> life force out. <laughs> and it just still sounds comical when I describe it that way, but that's that's what the plot of the film is. It sounds is. like just, a
2: horrible B movie. Yeah,
1: but yeah. it really does go some interesting directions. The ending, I will say, honestly surprising to me. Um, really? Oh, yeah. We'll just
2: talk after we shut the mics off. Yeah,
1: no, it was after? no, it was a good surprise. It okay. was just, I liked the way it ended. It did leave a couple of things out there on... Un- un- Unresolved, which I was fine with. Okay. But just the general shock of what happens, I thought was pretty interesting. I thought it was a very daring move to end the movie like that. So, okay. So under the skin, we're both recommending Chris loves it. Me one notch below loving it. Um, I'm all four stars for today's show. Okay. I know you're giving this one five. Absolutely. Okay. I'm at four because again, maybe if I go back and rewatch it, I might be able to give it another half a star. Um, But for me, all three movies, four-star movies, I enjoyed all three movies. I was so excited about today's recording because (laughs) I honestly just really had a good time with all three movies in different ways. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was a good action movie with some great visual effects. Snowpiercer was a great conceit to a story. Um, Under the Skin was a great thinking cerebral film with some very, very interesting visual and stylistic choices. We didn't even talk about the fact under the skin. Did you know that many of the characters that were approaching her van uh, were non-actors? Didn't even know they were acting. (laughs) Supposedly, there were hidden cameras recording those scenes. So people coming up and interacting with her, that's about as natural as you can get. They really were asking her questions and answering her questions. And it was awesome. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I'd, I'd heard that, and I thought it was really cool as well. Yeah.
1: Okay, so three films that we can, to some varying degrees of recommendation, recommend for you to go check out. Under the Skin is already out on video on demand and rental and everything else. It did a very short theatrical run, very small run for theaters, but it's available now on iTunes, Amazon, all those places as well. So all three films you can see right now today in one way, shape, or form. Chris, we're already clocking in at an hour for the show here.
2: I mean, it's sci-fi movie.
1: I, I know. And I think we're going to have to bypass some of our news items and we'll just hold okay. those for the next episode. Unless there's anything you can just hit me with in 30 seconds or less. Nothing. Nah. Okay. let's we'll skip it then. Let's move on to our recommendation film that we think that maybe you may be overlooked in the past. One. We want to make sure that you are aware of maybe just a film that we checked back in with recently and uh, found ourselves enjoying and wanting to recommend. So Chris, what have you got for us?
2: Okay. Ladies who are listening to this show and they're tired of, you know, science fiction and everything, fear not. I'm recommending a romantic comedy. Now. Whoa, whoa. Guys. Wait, hold
1: on. Repeat that again. Chris Fry is recommending a what?
2: A romantic comedy.
1: Wow. Okay. Guys,
2: before you tune out, it does involve time travel.
1: Oh. Okay.
2: Okay. So, and ladies and guys, it's done by Richard Curtis, who did Love Actually. Okay? Because that's uh. a... Well-known movie that both ladies and gentlemen like, Love Actually.
1: I've um, never seen Love Actually.
2: Okay, that is a good movie. That's not what I'm recommending because that okay. does not have time travel. Although, yeah. you know, I'll recommend that some other time so I can get a get out of jail free card. Mm. That is a good movie. Um, what I'm recommending was from 2013, a movie called About Time. Yep. And it has uh, Bill Nighy and Rachel McAdams and um, Dominal Gleeson, which I'm wondering if he is related to um, – Brendan Gleeson yeah because he looks a lot like him and their names spelled the same Um, anyways really good movie does involve time travel Bill Nighy's father figure to Domino Gleeson and tells him on his 21st birthday hey guess what dude you can travel in time oh Um,
1: (laughs) that's that's what I've always wanted to learn on my birthday birthday. yeah it was really Um, cool
2: but it's it could just be played up for laughs the whole time travel thing Um, but it's not, it's, it's more thought provoking than that Mm -hmm. on choices that you make. And there's, it's, it's, uh, it's more than you would think would be involved in a romantic comedy that has time travel. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked it. Not a perfect film by any means. And if you go into it looking to poke holes, yes.
1: Well, (laughs) it's a time time travel movie. Yeah. as
2: As far as the time travel stuff goes. But, you know, don't take that too seriously. Just look at it as kind of a thought-provoking movie. It's, mm-hmm. you know, light, but yet date movie. It's what it's hey, I recommend.
1: Always looking for some of those. That's good. I actually, I I'd saw, I'd saw the previews for this when I first heard of it. didn't sound very appealing. But then when I saw the director and I saw a little bit of the time travel conceit, I'm like, okay, this could be interesting. Who knows? So you're saying it's worth watching.
2: It is worth watching. And it's one that I saw the previews for in the theater and it just kind of came and went real fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I think because it didn't, it could easily say it's not satisfied as a comedy because it's not like laugh out loud over mm-hmm. and over again.
1: But I don't know, I, I recommend it. Well, I will okay. say just as a side note, Don Hall Gleason is the son of Brendan Gleason. Okay. Just saw Excellent. that. Yep. So you were right in your assumption there. So I mean,
2: they look similar. <laughs>
1: yeah. So about time. Good. A romantic comedy. That's although it does have a sci-fi element. It does. So it does tie into the show so a don't little bit. Out, guys. Yeah. But okay. Still, yeah. Well, my my recommendation actually does have a couple connections back to our reviews as well. Okay. I wouldn't. It's not a science fiction, although there are definitely sci-fi elements to the film, mm. and it co-stars Miss Scarlett Johansson. Oh. And if I did have recommended this film before. It was really early on in our run, so you know I'm going to call an audible and just say it's okay for me to bring it back again. Um, <laughs> bringing it back around. Bringing it back around, but it's the 2006 film, The Prestige. This was uh, Christopher Nolan. This is one he did in between Batman and The Dark Knight, I believe. Right. Yeah, I think he did it in between those two. Right. Uh, Batman Begins and The so, Dark Knight. Right. Uh right. Starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman and Miss Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman playing. Uh, rivaling Magicians. This is back in the uh, late 1800s, I believe. And this is a movie based on a novel that was one of the very few novels I can attest to having read in the last 20 years of my life. <laughs> uh, because I love the concept of magic and historical magicians. This book concept, when I heard that Christopher Nolan was making it into a film, I immediately went out and read the novel. This film is very different from the novel, but that's a good thing because both can coexist and live on and be good fun things to experience the prestige in typical Christopher Nolan style has a lot of cross cutting between some time periods, different scenes. Sometimes you're having a little bit of a hard time placing where a certain scene is happening in chronological order, but that also makes it that much more interesting to kind of unravel. Um, Christian Bale, who for many years has been Christopher Nolan's kind of go-to guy on Mm -hmm. films, is fine here. I think Hugh Jackman. This is probably one of the better things I've seen Hugh Jackman do. Where He's got I think Michael Caine. he does have Michael Caine, which is another <laughs> Christopher Nolan go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scarlett Johansson is one of the first movies I remember her starting to really kind of break out as a star as well. This was back in two thousand six. It's a very interesting, puzzling film. Even the last scene where probably much more of these sci-fi type elements really pronounce themselves even more right. will leave you questioning what you've been watching and what did this mean. And that's a good thing. This is the kind of film you want to talk about afterwards, but very expertly made from a directorial standpoint.
2: absolutely Well
1: edited, well shot, beautiful cinematography And just some great performances by some actors that are kind of hit or miss when it comes to box office stuff. So uh, The Prestige, I probably have mentioned it in the past, but you know what? Since Uh,
2: since you helped me out with uh, the Gleason family. Yep. While you were talking and giving your synopsis, I
1: looked on Letterboxd and you have not recommended it. I, don't I have believe. not. Okay, good. Because I do have, a, I kept a list there for all the films I've recommended and I haven't. Wow, that's a nice surprise. So The Prestige. I
2: think we've talked about it. But probably really so.
1: It I will definitely recommend The Prestige. I think it was a fascinating film. Between Batman Begins and this film, Christopher Nolan, back to back, had produced two films that I absolutely loved. Um, now I can say the love has waned a little bit with the last Batman film for Christopher Nolan. I'm really looking forward to interstellar later this year. Uh, That could be, that could be really interesting to see. So I'm going to say prestige, good film. Really enjoy it. All right. So we actually did wave in sci-fi elements into every single one of our discussions today. Not bad. Not even, not, not even something we coordinated just the way it all fell out. So so this is all for the sci-fi only episode of <laughs> Foot Candle Films here today. The uh, Monkeys, Trains, and Aliens Oh My episode, yeah. as I think we're going to call it. Uh, just as recalled, recall, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Chris and I both enjoyed and heartily recommend. Snowpiercer, Chris did not enjoy as much. I loved. So, you know, balance somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You got a nice average, good film there. And then Under the Skin, Chris loved. I really liked. I need to see again. That's kind of a good sum up for our show here. About Time, The Prestige, two other films we think you ought to check out. Uh, just a reminder check out the uh, Greater Hickory Kia Classic website at greaterhickorykiaclassic.com and learn more about the golf tournament coming to Western North Carolina, specifically Conover, North Carolina, October 13th through the 19th. Get your tickets and info at the website there. So, with that, we're going to wrap up today. Chris somebody has some questions or feedback for us on the show. What, what all, what all options do they have for us?
2: Well, uh, some feedback, you can email us at info at TV. Uh, you can also just check out the website, themesh.tv, TV, where we have our show feature, but then all the other shows on the mesh, there's lots on there. There's sports, there's business news, you know, news podcasts. lots of stuff on there. So you can go find out more about the mesh network as a whole. Um, you can also uh, follow us on letterboxd and that's, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. No, no E. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I'm on there as Chris Ryan. and you're on there as Alan Jackson. Just I know. Kind,
1: of, kind to... of ironic how that all worked out. I know. It's
2: <laughs> cool that way. Um, but that's, yeah. And then footcandle.org is the film society that helps uh, this podcast keep going too as well.
1: Yep. I will say for those of you that are in live in western North Carolina or even in the mood to travel to western North Carolina in the fall of 2015 we will have an interesting announcement coming up in future episodes that we'll like to tease for you. We can't say anything yet, Chris, I don't think. I don't think it's the date to start saying anything yet. We'll wait maybe a few more weeks. So
2: we're, we're not telling them that they're shooting the Star Wars in Hickory, North Carolina? Shh. Shh.
1: That's supposed to be a secret. Okay. Episode 8. Yes, it's going to be filmed in Newton. Entirely in <laughs> Newton, North Carolina. <laughs> that's right. Fine, we broke the news. Yes, we've been meeting with, uh, you know. J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, the whole crew, they've been out here scouting locations. Now, we actually do have something I think even more exciting than the idea of Star Wars Episode 8 filming in Cadaba County. And we will uh, talk about that in the coming episodes. So, something to stay tuned. That's called a tease. That's, that's the industry terminology for that, Chris, the tease. <laughs> so, you have now been teased, audience. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this show. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next time here on Foot Candle Films.
2: See you, ticket buyers.
0: Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.
1: The guy is this a spoiler for Under the Skin? Yes. Okay, good. Well let's let's let's, let's talk. This is a spoiler if you're still listening to the yeah. show here at the After end. Uh, the yeah, we're gonna spoil Under the Skin so, so just, one of the know. things,
2: the guy with the um, that it was the facial deformed gentleman. Yeah. That wasn't prosthetics.
1: Oh, no. I know that was real.
2: And I didn't know that wasn't prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And I looked into the movie. And how brave of him to do this film. Apparently, he is a producer in England or okay. Scotland or somewhere. So he's like a television producer. He had been on a reality show, believe it or not, hmm. called by Beauty and the Beast. Right. Um, wow. So I, I didn't know anything about that show. And it was over in England. But I just, just... Amazing. Yeah. amazing, amazing. amazing, yeah. uh, And it's a disturbing. His whole introduction is kind of disturbing. Um, so thoughts on thoughts on why she lets him go? Um, we can spoil stuff
1: now. No, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, and I've been trying to wrestle with that a little bit. I think something...
2: Because I got to see the movie a couple days ago, whereas you just watched it last night. Yeah. So I've got an so
1: advantage. For, uh, there. for me, it almost seemed like she got to a realization... That was the first person she encountered that I think she felt like was real, mm-hmm. a real human being. With you know, because think about the guys that she seduced up to that point; they were all these, "Hey, baby, and hey, let me the risk pick of you sounding up." Something cheesy, yeah.
2: I think it was the first person that she came into contact with that was not comfortable in their skin.
1: Yes, exactly. And In that yes. they weren't this bravado, you know, all about this, all about the sex and the skin and everything. This was like she felt like this was the first true human right. she experienced, right? Which humans by nature and most she of them are to buried. Get to
2: know this human. So she moves forward with the whole seduction thing, and yeah, yep.
1: And I think at the end of the day, she didn't want to see him go. She didn't want to see him disappear. She
2: didn't want to see him.
1: Yeah, and it kind of brought out something in her to say, okay, there's more to this whole human thing than the people I've been experiencing so far. Because if all her experience with humans had been just the guy she'd been picking up so far, you'd think everything was pretty surface, you know, not really that interesting. This guy was the first one that actually sparked an interest in her to say there's something more here. And I think at that point she's deciding, I want to try to experience this. I want to see what this is like. I want to see what humans are truly like.
2: What, what did you think of... We're just going to run through spoiler two. It's like mm. one spoiler after another. What did you think went wrong when she decided to not take... When she met the guy in the, on the bus, yeah, and she then she, goes to the house, and they become kind of friends, and he kind of takes her in, and then they kind of have a relationship, and they have sex, and what... what What do you think was going on with that? Because it
1: ends very abruptly and she. I think she just got, I mean, she, she's an alien that's never experienced anything like this before. I think she just got freaked out. Okay. I think it's almost like saying that she wanted to try to experience real passion and real intimacy, but yet she wasn't also prepared for it. And when it happened, it was like, Oh, what what the hell's going on? on? So she she kind of freaks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, she's got her own reactions and emotions to things as well. She kind of freaks out. She kind of takes off. And then unfortunately, you know, at that point, we make it to the end of the film where it's, you know, humanity shows its ugliest side to Mm -hmm. her. Where, again, it's all about what she looked like, all about her appearance. That got her, that was her undoing at that point. You know, Um, both her beauty got her basically raped in the woods. Yes. But then when her true self came out of the skin, that got her killed because both sides were something that this man couldn't process how to deal with. Right. He wanted to rape the pretty girl. When the pretty girl turned into a black alien, he wanted to burn it. Right. You know, it's like, so both things, the appearance of her skin, the appearance of her were what impacted her. Well, what made things happen to her, you know?
2: And I, I thought I'll do the spoiler territory on the three seduction scenes in the yeah, black lady sure. with the goo. Um, what I thought was really interesting is the first two, the gentleman, Totally undress. And if I remember correctly, Scarlett Johansson undresses but never completely nude.
1: True, I think you're you're right.
2: And they say nothing and are completely locked on her because they're just idolizing her and, like, you know, leering at her. Okay. Now, with the third gentleman, who is the one who's deformed, you know, he has facial deformities. He is nervous. Mm Mm-hmm he turns away at one point, does not keep looking at her, but turns away from her. And he's like, I'm cold. And he says something else. I can't remember. She said, Oh, it'll be, it'll be okay. And he asked her, he said, am I dreaming? And she mm-hmm. says, yes. Like, you know, it's, and it's interesting the way they chose to do that. And she completely disrobes. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. And he is disro- You know, He's naked. She's naked. But that was an interesting. Like, and I'm wondering there again, she was never comfortable in her skin. She realizes he is uncomfortable in his skin and she is willing to completely expose herself to him because she, she feels sympathy. That's a turn. That's a huge turning point.
1: I think that's the key word. It's the first person she felt sympathetic to. And again, I just think that's the first time that she realized there's more to these humans than what I've been experiencing so far. Right. You know,
2: um, what was your take on the very beginning of the film when Scarlett Johansson gets the clothes from that woman? How did that come to be? She basically to set up she's she is naked at the very beginning, but you just see her in this room hmm. and she has this other woman laying there. And
1: she, I thought the uh didn't the motorcycle guy get the girl find some girl's he body just somewhere? Found her, okay. Yeah. I think he but, just found a body and said, "Okay, we're going to take these clothes."
2: The curious thing was though the
1: body is still alive because she cries. There's a tear that comes There's down. tears running down. So either – and again, that's one of these – this is one of these things kind of like ambiguous. the black goo and yeah, all that. We, that. we don't know if somehow – these motorcycle guys, I assume, are like handlers. They're like the – they're the ones coordinating whatever's happening here. Scarlett Johansson's alien is basically the seductress role. She's the one to entice everybody in. Right. The motorcycle guys are there to make sure everything goes according to plan. So they really come out whenever things start to go wrong. (laughs) And I think their job at the beginning was, okay, we need some clothes for our, our girl here. And so the skin, the body is created at the very beginning of the film. That's what we see the eyeball kind of getting formed at the beginning, but they need clothes, whether they paralyze a girl, they find a drunk, passed out girl and somehow we don't know. And again, Mm -hmm. that's one of those things. I don't think we really need to know, Um, but they got the clothes. Um, They, they armed her with the clothes now and she's on her mission. And uh, they're always kind of roaming around, making sure her and probably others that they've got stationed around the place are doing what they're supposed to do.
2: Um, I'll close out the spoiler territory uh, version of the show or edition of the show, part of the show. At the very end, when her disguise has been torn and she peels it down and she looks at it, is it still – did it appear to you that it was still alive and that she was looking at it, but like the eyes –
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. And I don't know how.
2: Well, is I mean, it I don't know. What. To be like, in some sense, was that original person still alive through the skin?
1: I don't know about that. I didn't know if it was that or, or if it was just, just that. Like a, if the skin was kind of a living organism that grew on her gotcha. and she was living inside of it.
2: And it was still—it's like a chicken with their head cut off and yeah. still runs around. For
1: a Maybe. Longer. Okay. I thought that was a little interesting too. I wasn't I sure what to take like from it, that. And, yeah. And that's okay. Um, we didn't even talk about the scene on the beach with the, the, the couple and oh, the dog.
2: no, we totally didn't.
1: Which, to me, was probably the most disturbing scene oh, to watch. absolutely. Um, and I'm still kind of processing. I know what we're supposed to get from that is that she's not human. It shows She her has, her has no sense of humanity at that point where she has not met the deformed gentleman where I think we start to see the first little bit of humanity come out of her. And at that point, two, a couple, a wife first and then the man after her, basically get drifted off, carried off by a current. And the little kid, the little baby is left crying on the shore, and she shows no recognition of it. Right. So I guess it's reminding us that she is there. She's an alien. She's there for a mission. She's got a job to do. She's got a job to do. She's, there's no humanity there.
2: Right.
1: Uh, now, granted, I wonder if by the end of the film, if she had been presented with that same situation, if she would react differently or not. Damn. Because you had those moments where she's starting to feel like. She's trying to be human, mm-hmm. both with the intimacy with the gentleman she meets on the bus and she kind of becomes friends with, um, the deformed man, all those things. You kinda, you're curious. I don't know what would happen if she had been exposed to those same situations later on. Right. Hmm. It's okay. a fascinating film. I Absolutely. would definitely give it it's a fascinating film. Uh, very, very interesting. I definitely want to see it again soon to try to reprocess it some more. But I think I mean again we summed it up pretty. Good. I, I don't think the things that are ambiguous are meant to be ambiguous, sure. and it doesn't affect our enjoyment of the film one bit. One bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And spoilering time.
2: And scene.